Hello, this is Matt Hale with Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM. And this is the programme based on the May issue number 356 of Art Monthly, obviously. And I'm joined in the studio today by two of our writers who've been on the programme before, actually together, I think, was the last time they were in. And it's Paul O'Kane and a good friend of ours who's written about craft work called Omar Khalif as well. Now, Omar is... I'm hardly scrolling through pages because he's got a long bit of writing describing what he is. He's a writer, curator at Fact Liverpool and a visiting curator at Corner House in Manchester and associate curator at the Arab British Centre London. Paul has a shorter one, which is artist, writer and lecturer based in London. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. We're going to discuss your features today, which, as I've already said, is in the May issue. Paul, yours is called The Thing... Well, and I don't know whether that's your name for it or ours. Um, do you believe in things? Asks Paul O'Kane. It says in the runner. Yeah. Do you believe in things? Is the is the title really? Um... Okay. And 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 um, Omar, we will come to yours approximately halfway through the program, which is a half hour. Mm-hmm. And we called yours Man Machine. Omar Khalif tracks the influences of craft work. So, if you're interested in craft work, hang on. We're going to talk about things first. Yes. Okay. I'm going to try and begin with a very interesting question to Paul. Paul, you quote, I'm going to say it wrong probably, Gilles Deleuze. Is that right? Giles? Close. Gilles Deleuze. Gilles Deleuze, okay. Quite, quite a bit. You refer to him quite a bit in your feature. And um, is your, your, his description of the thing or things, is that your, your sole sort of reliance? You know, your, his definition, is it what you rely on to write this feature? Or do you have other definitions that you refer to or your own as well? I think it's, a, it's just a starting point, really. It's, um, I think uh, when I found this uh, conversation between Gilles Deleuze and Claire Parnay in which uh, he says, uh, I don't believe in things, I always thought it was a lovely kind of provocative statement to philosophers, artists, etc., to common sense in a way, to say I don't believe in things. And uh, I just think it's one of those statements by a philosopher that opens up a kind of can of worms, really, that you want to get involved in. And um, it really uh, uses it as a starting point, as I say, to sort of bring this question of uh, things into play, um, but moves through uh, essays like uh, Martin Heidegger's um, uh, The Thing or Martin Heidegger's lecture, uh, What is a Thing?, um, it refers to Freud's interest in the fetish, Marx's interest in the commodity, uh, Melanie Klein's interest in the transitional object. So in a way, it, it takes the thing. But I think I think one one something that, 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 that it does sustain is a kind of a twentieth century critique, uh, or, or it raises the thing as a particularly sort of a twentieth century obsession, uh, and tries to sort of um, discuss its continued relevance in the 21st century. I think that's probably the underlying motive. To move it away from... from to move us away from the thing as an obsession, well, do you possibly, mean? Well, possibly, yeah. I mean, it was noticeable, actually, in the, in the issue of the magazine, uh, other, um, um, other references uh, here to uh, dematerialisation, uh, like a, there's, a, there's a review of a conference on uh, immaterial labour here. And so I think it's, it's uh, given kind of 21st century technology, the kind of common uh, accommodation to the idea of the virtual, for example, that, uh, that uh, you know, all of us have in daily life now. 
um, brings us into contact with, with a, a kind of way of life that's not so uh, kind of uh, built around this, uh, the idea of the thing. And when you say the thing, I mean, it makes me think you mean the object. Is that too simplistic? Well, I think the, the thing and the object probably have different sort of vocabularies and legacies built, built around them. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very kind of rich and productive uh, a, a field in a way. Uh, everyone would have, you know, some people would come back to you with John Carpenter, and some people would come back to you with Lacan. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, approaches to the thing. But, but, uh, but I do think that the thing is, it has been a kind of particularly, it's like the kind of sand in the oyster of 20th century thought or something. It's made people uh, very productive in um, the idea of a, of, of a relationship to uh, an external body uh, or, 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 or kind of object, in a way, yeah. yeah. Do, you, you fairly quickly come on to mentioning art, and you, you talk about particularly sculpture. You say, but what of art, and particularly of sculpture, that branch of the arts that more than any other has considered the thing or things to be the centre of its particular universe? Mm. I mean, what do you... What do you, you, you mentioned the mineralist, John McCracken. I mean, what are you... How are you... Are you how, in these artworks? Does that how does that link with this idea of of, of Deleuze's? Well, that in this, uh, I mean, uh, I do a lot of teaching and I teach a lot in the sculpture department actually at Camberwell College in London, and uh, um, it's you know it's a kind of pervasive or consistent concern in a way of students of of artists of sculptors in particular, perhaps. Uh, that uh, they have to, in a way, come into some dialogue with the thing. Either they move away from the thing and their pro projects become performative or dematerialised or virtual or they become video acts, etc. Um, or, or maybe somebody, or, or maybe following someone like more like McCracken or minimalism, they might uh, come to a kind of uh, a, a resolution or, or a resignation with the, the with the dialogue between sculpture and the thing, and uh, if you look at McCracken's sculptures, you almost have a kind of uh, a symbol of 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 the thing, a kind of endpoint or a limit of thinghood. Uh, maybe before a new generation or the current generation, you know, dissolves these ba these boundaries, move, feels free to move and play around and away from the thing, uh, and invents practices which are uh, dematerialized or virtual or performative in various yeah. ways. Which uh, I think uh, the show, among other things, by Andrew Dodds, curated by Andrew Dodds, that I sort of review in the midst of the essay. Yeah, which is at Camberwell Space. Yeah, that all, that show also um, shows many many practices, which uh, yeah, which kind of uh, the works in that show seem to target. Uh, and deconstruct any habitual yeah, cause you mentioned idea of the thing. Adam Chodsko, um, Nicoline Van Haskamp, Kelly Large, and Dodds himself, who, who, who makes a... I think it's a, f a film, isn't it? Yeah, he makes a film of, uh, of, of a group of young musicians uh, putting together uh, a composition of music and you see them warming up, and you see the incredible thinghood of their, of their instruments, like a glossy cello or tubular bells. Yeah. Uh, well, filmed in HD. And yeah, really yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, very kind of uh, sort of dimensional, if you, if you like, or extensive. For a film. For a film. <laughs> yeah. But then you realise that there's a kind of a contradiction or a juxtaposition of the, the, ama the amazing kind of thinghood of something like a cello, a varnished cello, uh, and the sound it makes, uh, and, and the, the piece of music itself. Yes. And music itself is, becomes more of an event. And I just say that, you know, perhaps that's where Deleuze tries to uh, 
detach himself completely from thinghood when he says, I don't believe in things, it's because he believes in events. And uh, for Deleuze, I think that what we would call a thing, he would call an event, and he would sort of wrap all phenomena up you know, rather, in the, rather, in, rather within that within that word, in a way. Yes. He would believe in events, but he wouldn't believe in things. You, you say um, the ensemble congeals once the camera is turned off, and only then, at the moment of their disappearance, do we hear the diverse and distracted musicians and their musics become one. They say, what, when is an ensemble an ensemble? Yeah, when is a piece of music, you know, is a piece of music a, a thing? There's, 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 you know, there's various... Uh, a piece of music is a, is a, is a wonderful thing, to, is a wonderful example to offer up to the thing. You know, is a piece of music a thing? Is a river a thing? You know, uh, there's, there's some uh, phenomena that we, we can identify and we call you know, that piece of music yes. or that river, for example. Deleuze you know, uses a nomadic vocabulary. He talks about, you know, like people who are always on the move or even a sand dune, which you might be able to point to it and say that thing, but in actual fact it's, it's in yeah. constant motion. And he uses those examples to illustrate his idea that we live in a universe of events, not of things. And in a way the thing starts to sound what I call so last century, <laughs> it starts to sound anachronistic. Yeah, when I was I was wondering whether or not you really, in actual fact, have an opinion that you think it's better that we move away from from sculptures and objects and things into yeah. this more event yeah, kind like of psychic, you know, psychology. I'd like to answer that because um, I think when I first when I first studied in in a sort of Deleuzean environment, a kind of Deleuze fest around the millennium. <laughs> Uh, at Goldsmiths College, uh, where everybody seems to be talking and thinking and writing Deleuze and reading Deleuze. Um, I think one of the questions that came up around Deleuze was the question of responsibility, that once you believe in this kind of very abstracted, uh, quite scientific in a way, uh, interpretation of the world or the universe as events, um, although Deleuze is a kind of post-Marxist, in a way there is a kind of strong political element running through Deleuze, at his most philosophical, people seemed to think he was became irresponsible. That you were you were kind of in a sort of romantic, ethereal, well, abstract realm of events. Well, um, almost, almost amoral. It was sort of, sort of in a way, yeah. Uh, in a way, you become so uh, interested in abstractions that you lose contact with with uh, responsible things of the real world. And that's why the essay turns at the conclusion towards some kind of responsible uh, dialogue with things. And so um, I don't put my hand on my heart at the end of the essay and say I believe in things. But what I say is that having discussed all these artworks and practices and legacies where the thing has been successfully deconstructed, I think, you know, I think it's quite convincing to start thinking of the world as events. You know, it, it, it makes sense to think of myself as an event inside an event, etc. It's, it's quite convincing Deleuze's disbelief. Uh, however, it, I conclude the essay with references to to slavery, the Holocaust, etc., where um, there are certain examples, certain places where it seems to me you need to acknowledge the thing, or you the th you need the thing to shock you into a kind of uh, a responsible uh, position. Can you give an example of that? Well, um, if you think uh, if you think about the image of the Holocaust, then uh, one of the, one of the images that everybody would probably have in their mind is something like bodies being turned over by tractors, by tractors and, yeah. or piles of spectacles or, or discarded yeah. shoes, etc. In a way, these piles are all kind of equated as merely things, and they are symbols of uh, the most outrageous, unspeakable, immoral acts. 
Um, you mean you need to see them to really understand the, yes, reali- th- the, the, the real reality of, of what happened? I think that's, I think that's the, the... If there was no of, evidence? Yes, I think that's the answer to this question, this problem about Deleuze's abstraction becoming immoral. You, sometimes you do need the thing mm. to kick you in the face and uh, wake you up to, to concerns which are maybe beyond those of philosophy. Because I was quite interested... Sorry, Omar, just one quick yeah. question. With, with, um, we, we'll, we're going to come on to Omar's feature in a second, but and it does relate... Um, with, particular, with some of the artist examples, I mean, for instance, you talk about Adam Chodko's work, th- 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 he, there is a kind of thing, and then there's also a kind of, there's a fragment of a, of a thing. Or there's, he uses things, but it's, it, they're sort of halfway between... I mean, yeah. You'd probably describe his work better than, than me, but well, I thought it was interesting that he was hanging on to the thing... But it was also absent as well. Yeah, somehow. I think that's what that's probably. I think that's one of the things that was very nice about Andrew Dodds' curation that the, he chose these works. Often video plays the part in a way. Often video plays the part as the kind of inter, interlocutor between the the kind of virtual realm, the kind of conceptual idea uh, of a de- or, 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 and. Uh, but it has things in it. Object. Yeah, in a way, the, I think the video image uh, often often. Uh, Plays between them. So Chodzko's film shows a, um, uh, a beautifully made canoe, a kind of the kind of canoe that you would sort of die for or something. It's beautifully, lusciously yes. uh, made of choice woods and varnish, like those cellos and tubular bells in the other film. Um, but the film is, uh, but this particular canoe is designed to take. Uh, Bodies to an island of the dead, and you see that happening in the video. Yeah, and it's it sort of slowly kind of m- makes its way up river. But there's a fragment of that actual canoe, isn't there, on the wall that's or something? Right. So, so in a way, you're involved in this kind of idea of uh, eventhood through video or through the idea of a death or something like that. There's a kind of sense of eventhood, but the the thing is essential to this journey. You know, in a way, the journey is a, is a kind of abstract thing, but 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 the, the thing, the canoe, is necessary to make the journey possible. And yes, there's a there's a smashed piece of the, of the canoe uh, on the wall beside the film, um, which is and, interesting because it's like a broken thing. Yeah, um, I was just this is Omar. I, I was just curious about because um, you were talking about, especially referring to these images of the Holocaust or these images. Um, being an inaction, the image being an action of a thing or a reality, because. What do you think then about kind of a world that is mediated through software, animation, um, 3D graphics? I mean, obviously they're simulating things, so-called, but now you've got online virtual museum experiences, for example, that are native to different platforms that aren't necessarily based on our common assumption of objecthood. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, like new things. Well, yeah. well, I think that it makes me think of... The, or reanimations of old things. It makes me think of the the way that, that in twenty. Uh, 21st century uh, media, even in a kind of mainstream newspaper or something, we might now use a, something like a manga image of you know somebody like Obama or something like that. Mm. That the, 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 uh, comic imagery is starting to actually kind of colonise the photographic reel, for example. So I think I mean this is the wavelength you're, you're talking about: is that the 20th century also produced such a kind of uh, a simulated environment? The 21st century is starting to feel comfortable about living in that. That, that simulated sort of fantastic environment that never really existed as things, but were only actually kind of simulated creations, and uh, I think that uh, I think that that's that's partly I think I, uh, partly implicated in my essay is is as I say the kind of twenty first century virtual computerized technologized mm-hmm. environment. This is this is giving us a different relationship with th- with things. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, talk, you did mention um, the performative. Um, and film in in your 
piece and in, in, just now on, on, in the programme. And, and Omar, your piece on craft work, obviously. Tell us what craft work are, first of all, because there may be some people out there who've never heard of them. Oh. <laughs> well, whenever I, whenever I actually in the first draft tried to introduce Craftwork, Patricia said that Craftwork need no introduction, really, and so that's why I started... That's our editor, by the way, Patricia. Uh, yeah, Patricia, so, uh, so I, I don't think they need an introduction, but they are perhaps the most significant, um, quote-unquote, electronic music um, group who have ever lived, and their influence has spanned... Um, everything from hip-hop to contemporary music and visual culture. And um, I quote in the beginning that um, Observer once called it the f one of their albums, Trans Europe Express, the third greatest album of all time. So in terms of the canon of music history, it's especially they're especially significant um, and considered pioneering. But I think the link with um, this idea of event um, that Paul mentioned is, I think, is significant because um, one of the reasons that I guess I wrote the piece, and when it came to, into my mind was thinking about... I was working at a cross-section where I was programming. My curation was focused very large, largely on events. And um, I was thinking, well, how then do you start to appropriate this kind of event culture into, the, into a museological or institutional context? And what I noticed, especially, was that uh, these events were being framed in the same curatorial discourse or framework as the, as the history of exhibitions. And that especially felt especially present at a moment when popular culture had started to become much more subsumed into the vis visual arts. Um, particularly, um, for example, um, it kind of clicked in my head in uh, September when I was in Istanbul and this American cultural thinker called David um, J. Bolter, or J. David Bolter, sorry, um, he was talking about his thesis about how there was, there was only one culture that encompassed everything from opera to the visual arts to your um, horror porn movies, and that everything had started to become much more self-referential. And thinking about everything after post-modernity, where it had become a kind of bricolage or a kind of self-referential, I guess, milieu, if it were, um, it felt like all of these things were coming together. And Kraftwerk are particularly interesting case study because of their significance in music history and how they'd started to become appropriated into the visual art context. Yeah, it'd be nice for you to... Obviously, we kind of need to explain what Kraftwerk do, but equally, yeah. their influence would... To know what there is, you think there is, has been on, oh, on yeah. which artists would be interesting. I mean, they use what do they do? I mean, they they play, they write songs, and they have pop so, pop hits. Well, yeah, the basic. I know that. I mean, there are these performers who sort of use technology um, to do all the work for them, in a sense. And so often they'll be seen in kind of, I I describe them as sort of a mixture of robotic and cabaret style outfits um, that are playing with turning. Um, um, calculators into musical instruments with live 3D projection um, and in a sense they're, they're, they, they're singing that Ralph, Ralph Future, who's the lead singer um, his lyrics are actually quite opaque quite elliptical, very repetitive, almost meaningless um, and the, the kind of kind of cult base that they developed um, for this kind of, me it's almost a mediated kind of performance you know, um, and that kind of is much more durational, if you will. So one of their most famous tracks, Autobahn, um, is 22 minutes long. and But yet people love that song, and it's, it's, it's culturally significant. But really, the way I was talking about it was I start to compare some of these elements of duration, repetition, etc., to um, tropes that are evident in, visual, in, in the visual arts. Um, but also... Um, 
I start to talk about also this idea of the robot because they came to the fore in post-war Germany in Dusseldorf at a period um, when Joseph Boyce was teaching and they were they would play next to the Conrad Fisher Gallery which pioneered um, on Coara and Gilbert and George etc. And they described themselves as being inspired by a kind of performative fluxus mentality. And so in a sense I'm trying to draw a a correlation between this kind of robotic, live, mediated performance work um, and the actual, um, and, and I guess a trajectory to situate them in a trajectory of performance art. Um, so you asked um, who they inspired. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. What, what artists since they came out? Because they were mid-70s, they appeared? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just that you mentioned, you know, that they had an influence on, yeah, the, I mean, on now, as it were. I mean, I, des- I, I describe um, a lot of different influences, and actually one thing that I decided to do, actually, was to pick artists that um, weren't necess- people wouldn't necess- necessarily draw the correlation with, because for me, what I think they are indicative of is a kind of merger between... Um, human and machine, a kind of symbiosis. Do you use the word cyborg? Yeah. Is, what does that mean? Cyborg is, a, I guess in the science fiction terminology, is about a kind of an individual that is a mixture of human and machine. So the Terminator is a cyborg. Um, and there's a, there's a whole theoretical um, kind of a discourse around that. And for me, I felt like they had been very representative of this because you'd, usually when you go to a concert, you expect you go because you expect a performer to you know, sweat blood and tears, you know, really let, put their heart out there. But they don't necessarily do that. They do it through technology. And so I used this example for one of them of Stellark, who's an Australian media artist, who had um, um, he had a, an, an ear uh, implanted into his skin that radiated signals that, you, that were then transmitted afterwards so that his body, his body mutations were being um, documented in this way. Um, so the idea of machines being embedded into into the human being is a, a different kind of cyborg culture. But I also discuss um, the Iraqi-born American artist Wafat Bilal, who did this really um, controversial performative work where he implanted a video camera into the back of his head um, for a year, and it would stream on the hour every hour what was what he was doing onto a live website. So also it's this idea of a performance, a performative act being embedded or ingrained within. To the artist's being, and I felt that there was a real correlation between where we were now and where we were then. And because recently craft work has started to become appropriated into cultural forms, I thought it would actually be quite interesting to talk about that specific idea of the symbiosis between man and machine. Also, you did mention that they've since you've written this piece, there's been a performance of them over a number of days yeah. at the exhibition in, in PS1 in, in, in New York. Yeah. How did that go? Well, it's quite interesting. Um, there was an article by Dan Fox about it. Um, so basically, the way they framed it was that Kraftwerk would present a, a kind of retrospective in, in PS1 MoMA, but they would also do an eight-night retrospective, as it were called, called 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, um, where they would each night perform their, a different catalogue, uh, part of their catalogue. And what was interesting about this is that... Um, Obviously, Kraftwerk don't perform that regularly. They're iconic cult figures, but they were being placed in this in the in the art institution in a in a very kind of hospitalized kind of corporate environment, uh, 458 seats or something along those lines. And it, and what was interesting is that. Um, 
when Dan was reviewing his show, he said, well, they're trying to frame it within this canon of exhibitions. And he, and the, the curators are saying, basically, that you have to see the entire oeuvre over these eight nights to understand a retrospective of craftwork. Yet most people who went there were only able to get to see one night because there were only so, so few seats um, to go around. And he draws this really interesting correlation of, about saying, well, it's essentially like asking me as a reviewer to go and review a Cindy Sherman solo show and say, you can look at these three works and that's it, go and write your review. But this is a retrospective. So that, it, it was quite interesting because it raised all these ideas of how you try and subsume popular culture into the institutional context and the problems that that, that, that raises. And it's quite, it's quite interesting because it's like, can you is the museum the correct place for this kind of cultural production? Um, many people, myself included, believe that if you, you have to include music in in the institutions we're talking about anything that happened after anything post-war because because culturally it's so significant so how do you start to talk about those things and is it necessary to theorize them in this vernacular of the exhibition by producing a limited edition catalog uh, this brochure this positioning it theoretically in a sense i'm kind of playing playing both devil's advocate with myself because I'm, here it is in an art magazine you know and I'm talking about it in that you also, you also say at the end that what's needed is a holistic exhibition that considers the narrative trajectory and the group's influence on contemporary model, yeah. <laughs> modern art <laughs> practice but at least that would be a kind of attempt to question what you're talking about now rather than just giving us them you know, as a kind of fact. Exactly. Which does sound more interesting to me. Yeah, well, to me, I mean, it's like what I've done here is present a reading. And what I really want to do is, um, I think what, what's missing now is to take that material and try and draw correlations with it to other forms of practice, because that's actually more interesting for an institution or a museum to do um, than supposedly to try and recreate the event from something from the 70s, try and recreate that. Well, it's just nostalgia if you do that, maybe. Well, it is. Well, or the moment we live in a culture of what Simon Reynolds calls retromania, where the new is always being reanimated and present, the old is always being reanimated and being presented as the new and actually what that, what that's, he's, he, I guess he suggests that that's kind of unhealthy in some respects because um, we never um, rethink or rearticulate or even um, move beyond our traditional way of thinking about those practitioners because we're looking at them with the gaze of what it was like then so um, I guess that's it Paul, well, no, thanks so much. Uh, Paul, I think Paul may have a question. No, uh, not necessarily a question, <laughs> a but statement. just a couple of things. I, I found the, you know, the, uh, the, the whole figure of Kraftwerk incredibly uh, uh, kind of productive in a way. They're like a kind of something, like a kind of yeast or something that, that mm. you start, starts to throw up all these kind of amazing uh, ideas about uh, the recent history of art. And uh, I just wanted to add a couple of things. One was that I think that I think the period of minimalism that turns up in my essay as well. In, mm. the With John McCracken say. Yeah, uh, one of the key aspects of minimalism is that it claims to start to break down this boundary between something like painting and sculpture and starts to open up this kind of infinite field that becomes what you're saying is one culture or your, your, mm. your citation regards as one culture, which I think probably most people sort of welcome the idea that you break down these boundaries, popular culture comes into the gallery. Um, there's various responses to it, like uh, maybe people sometimes make a conservative shift and sort of hold on to their painting as painting. But nevertheless, there's this kind of inexorable, global uh, kind of uh, breaking down of boundaries, which I think we generally 
kind of welcome. And the other thing I wanted to just quickly say was that uh, one of the things that fascinated me about the, the idea of craft work is that they brought up a sort of philosophical point that I was interested in, which was that right from the end of the Second World War, which we've also touched on, um, or, 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 sorry, sorry, from the, actually from the end of the First World War, Neusachlichkeit, this kind of mm. new objectivity in Germany, started to produce this kind of uh, man-machine in the images of Otto Dix or Christian mm. Schad, uh, and the, actually, that, that idea of a very objective German art feels it f f kind of feels it f feeds its way through. Maybe not so much to do with boys, but to do with things like the Beckers, Stefan Balkenhof, Katharina mm. Fritsch. And I was really interested in that legacy of this rather dry, kind of almost like a kind of repression of emotion, a repression of expression, which becomes, as you say in your essay, um, like a kind of cabaret subversion. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. Why? Uh, why you know we, we might think expressionism is is subversive and sort of transgressive, but in actual fact, in craft work, you see this wonderful example of a kind of repressive, uh, sub, uh, re repressive kind of transgression or something. Mm. I think that is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, Omar, you you actually s suggest that they're critically um, by being the way they are, craft work. They're, they're actually. Um, sort of having a go at them, the global environment, whitewashed capitalist hegemony has a raised individual sense of identification. Because, I mean, they are mm. not very... They're depersonalised, aren't mm. they, as an image, and, yeah. and they don't move, they don't... They're not very human. So, mm. But you, you're suggesting, you suggest that's critical, in, in, a, in a way, of, of the way lots of people um, sort of lose their individuality in order to participate in capitalism. I mean, I mean, that's a very big point to bring up, which is one minute before the end of the programme. So, guys, read the features. <laughs> There's more about that idea in Omar's. Yes. And, and uh, we thank you all for listening. I'm sorry, we have run out of time. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. And the Omar machine has in. beaten us. The machine of time has beaten us. I'm just going to say, before it does, though, I've got one minute to suggest that you subscribe to Art Monthly. If you email subs at artmonthly.co.uk and put... Residence Radio, in your email, you'll receive an automatic 30% discount. And a subscription currently is about £25, so it's not a lot of money. Thank you ever so much for listening. And it's Thank great. You. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.